3: Hello, hello, welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times, back again for another podcast on a Monday for you. And I'm Will Kelleher, and today we've got Steve Jones' Escape with Datchett Studios, and we're in
2: London Bridge, Steve. Uh, No, Dachet is behind me now, he's part of my past, and uh, we are in London Bridge, and this is the second time we've been in London Bridge this morning, because the first time we were in London Bridge, Alfie forgot to put the microphone on. (laughs) (laughs) Producer Alfie.
3: Had a shocker already this morning, but it's a lovely view out the window, isn't it? I mean, listeners won't be able to see it clearly, but we can see the walkie-talkie and all sorts it's out it, the window. All
2: those buildings have got names, haven't they? There's the walkie-talkie and whatnot. You can't you can't see the shard because that's over the other side, but um, it's an absolutely amazing view. Perfect. Well, did you have an amazing view when you're at Kingston Park on the weekend?
3: That's a segue, isn't it? There yeah, you go. that
2: is a segue. I had an amazing view of an amazing occasion. I don't know if anyone is still to drop into a to, to women's game, Will, but um, it was packed at, at Newcastle where, where everybody was sky high anyway because they'd beaten Gloucester the night before and some of the Newcastle Falcons players looked a little bit worse for wear, if, if you ask me, <laughs> but it was capacity crowd but not only that loud and supportive uh, adoring of Sarah Hunter whose last game it was and who was given a royal sending off as befitting her, her royal status but it was also a tremendous game big win for England they showed some superb play but also Scotland as I said yesterday were by no means humiliated they they, they, they were tough they competed till the end and they looked a much better team now they're on the sort of early stages of professionalism than they have for ages so it was just just a great day and um train hell as normal but um, <laughs> it was a, it was a lovely occasion and I you know anyone who's not seen the women's game get over and see one how long did it take you to get home then about 14 and a half hours 14 a half? The, no, wow. it, was, it was all right but going through uh, the middle of london at 4am was was tremendous oh, honestly wow. What was the problem? Did it was it, there a cancellation? It was or? something called Lumo trains. Oh right, they sort of looked like they'd been made out of Meccano sets. <laughs> and, uh, you, but Are no, they the
3: cheap fare ones?
2: They, they were cheap. Yeah, they were cheap and slow. Would be there. With the, <laughs> but they're they're, they're right. They got me there in the
3: end. Right. Well, we're hoping not to be cheap or slow on the ruck this morning. Coming up on the podcast, and sometimes at this time of year, it's a bit of a mishmash of things, isn't it? Because we jump between competitions. But we're off the Men's Six Nations. Women's Six Nations kicked off, so we're going to talk to Rachel Burford the former red roses center world cup winner about that sarah hunter's uh, valedictory exit from the game and all that we're also going to talk about the state of the game in in the men's side of it at least in england because we're doing a series in the paper at the moment that's looking at all sorts of different areas of the game and how they can be fixed and the rpa's general secretary christian day will join us to have a chat about all things that the players are after We'll touch on a bit of the Premiership that happened over the weekend and look forward to the Champions Cup last 16 as that competition finally gets going. And also, as ever, we'll name our God or Goddess of the Week. But first, let's have a little look at the Prem and then into some Champions Cup. Right, Steve. You didn't do a, a premiership game this weekend because you were up watching the Red Roses. But it was a bit. It felt like a bit of a moving weekend where London Irish have gone on this remarkable run. They were mm. bottom at Christmas and now they're in fourth. Exeter lost to Bath, and Rob Baxter was really annoyed about that and said he might basically change most of the team. They look like they're struggling now. You've got Quinns who dropped out of it, having lost to Sarries at Tottenham. What piqued your interest when you weren't watching the the women's stuff?
2: Well, obviously. Um uh, obviously as a Spurs fan you, it was nice for the home team to, to pl- play quite well for a start at Spurs but <laughs> I have to say 55,000 uh, you got to remember Will I, I'm slightly older than you in fact I'm slightly older than most people <laughs> and um, I used to cover games in front of 800 people
3: Yeah,
2: uh, like at Roslyn Park a 1,000 Metropolitan Police maybe 1,200 uh, there are 55,000 there that's absolutely unbelievable and great tribute to... Um, to, to the Saracens marketing department but also to to the, when the premiership gets it right it's still a great competition mm. the, the, you know but the other thing obviously a great win for Saracens and, and dumps Quinns out of it but um, what you say is, is right there's this sort of soft middle core to the table mm. with Gloucester, Quinns, London Irish as, as you say. Bristol, uh, Bristol Northampton, Northampton, yeah. Northampton. On the day anyone can beat someone else which which is great for the neutral, but you want your team to win every game, yeah. and and I think that you know Northampton for for some of those teams to be in contention for fourth place is indicates that. The middle ground in the in the Premiership is not that strong, it really isn't. And mm. you do feel that the final will be between the, the, the top two currently, Sale and, um, and and Saracens. Yeah, and
3: also the fact that it's often the way, isn't it, of, especially when Saracens finish top of the table, you think the person who finishes fourth, who nips in there, is an absolute highly to nothing. Like, they had their full team out and Owen Farrell went off injured, but... Mm. They looked looked seriously strong and favourites to take the title in May, probably, didn't they? They,
2: they? They do. Let's be fair, London Irish... Uh, let's not knock them at all because they, they as you say, they they've come up m- magnificently. Uh, not it's not the easiest existence to be London Irish because you don't actually have a, a sort of neighbourhood constituency, but they got this. What I think is a great place to play rugby in um, the end of the M4 there, and I think they're always been a great club. So good luck to them. I'm not saying I prefer them to get there than anybody else, but if they do, it'll be. Uh, I'm sure they'll quit themselves really well. Saracens, in my opinion, are. Just quite substantially below the, what they were in the glory years with mm. Will Skelton, but they fight like anything. And you could see when these guys come back from international rugby, there is no difference in the intensity with which they played for England yeah. than the, when they played for Saris.
3: Just on the, a quick point on the sort of big game thing, so they called it the showdown. I think Saris and mm. Quinn's and Harlequins are, have got another one of their sort of big summer ones coming against Bath in a couple of weeks in April. And it does seem like in the Premiership... The guys involved there are trying to put more of those sort of fixtures on. I think they're doing a body of work to look at which rivalries would really catch the audience. Maybe a Bristol yeah. Bath somewhere. Yeah. But I suppose the difficulty for places around the country is finding a big stadium that's nearby because it helps when you're in London. There's loads of them, aren't there? But that, do you yeah. think that would be a good idea to it's have a, more of those kind of marquee occasions on these
2: weekends? It's a great. It's a great idea. I mean, the only trouble with Bristol Bath is that Bristol have got the biggest stadium. Yeah. In the in so the in the, in the area, but unless you, you went
3: know, to Cardiff or something like that, yes, but then you, you kind of. Do- Move that. out of the English bubble and all that, don't you, you?
2: You could do that. I mean, I think you've got to do that when you can. You'd think that Sale and possibly Newcastle or someone from the North Midlands, etc., could could do something at, um, well, M- Saint Man- James's uh, St. Park, St. James's Old Trafford, Anfield. Yeah, exactly. They got they got all Man those. City. I think it has to be reasonably local, but it, it doesn't have to be on your doorstep. So yeah, they're great. And uh, look, look, Quinn started that, and good luck to them. And um, Mark Evans started that. Our Mark Evans started it. Yes, he did let's hope they carry on and um Saracens have got a, have, have taken the march now with with their idea it's br- brilliant and like i say the premiership when it's good it's really good yeah yeah well w-
3: We're not trying to completely brush over all the other teams. And if you haven't mentioned yours, then we apologise. But we're we're rattling through because we've got loads of cover on this pod today. But I suppose the the link to what's happening this weekend is it's the last 16 in the Champions Cup and there are a fair few English teams in there. Obviously, there's more teams in general in this knockout. But we've always said, haven't we, that this is the real test of the quality of the premiership is how they match up against the big French teams, the big South African teams it is now, and the big Irish sides we're looking at some of these fi- so that if you just particularly look at the English fixtures actually could look quite positive in the quarter finals the following week so Leicester Edinburgh on the Friday you suspect that Leicester pr- should probably get a result there then you've got Dormers, Harlequins which looks like probably a tough trip for Quinns mm. um, and if they pulled that off in Cape Town that would be a remarkable result probably I mean Storm was drew with Leinster on a uh, reduced Leinster side on the weekend. Mm. And Lara Shell Gloucester, you feel like that's only going one way and yeah. probably quite heavily... Exeter yesterday. Montpellier and then Saracens Osprey. So, you, do you think you can, English teams can sneak in of three or four?
2: We were talking off uh, Exeter uh, Montpellier. It, it's a tough game, but it really a club like Exeter should bounce back, or it, it's a great opportunity for them to bounce back because they've not been playing well at all. And, and R- R- Rob Baxter had really sharp words for them on the weekend. So that is a, that is a season um, saver. Um, if you if you could get through to the last eight of, of the of the of the and well then you you'd not done badly, so that's a season saver. La Rochelle and Gloucester in La Rochelle, uh, Gloucester are not a great away team, but uh, and you have to be a great away team to win at La Rochelle. So some possibilities. If three got through, I think that would be absolutely brilliant. More like two.
3: The thing I think that happens after that, depending on results is it possible La Rochelle-Saracens quarterfinal which that would be a real ding-dong wouldn't it?
2: It would be and um, Saracens are one of the, I don't think Saracens are as great as they once were but they are formidably difficult to beat I mean if if, if La Rochelle and Saracens would be um, a magnificent game La Rochelle are the champions but you would never write off Saris in the game like that because no. they get, and a lot of people don't get this anymore, they get the sheer size and power of this tournament
3: We well, always talk about this when the Champions Cup comes around and without sounding like a broken record it is a big issue about this tournament that it just takes so long to get going doesn't it and these two weekends we're going to have now are going to be brilliant because they're going to be elite games with proper oppositions you're going to have a last 16 it's straight knockout then the next week straight into quarterfinals which are all going to be fizzing they've got a, they've got, and I think they are looking at restructuring this competition again to make it a bit easier to follow because it just takes so long doesn't it
2: well you, you've almost for- forgotten if your team qualified or not after the pool yeah. stages but it's <laughs> got to remember we said this on the ruck before Will that there was a time definitely absolutely definitely where people were thinking this Heineken Cup is catching up with internationals in the mm. Peel people were going to they were going to people said oh, I, well I'm I've followed England, but now I'm going to follow Northampton to Beerritz or wherever it may be. It is not remotely as big in the hearts and minds of followers or the media as it once was. And as you say, we've got to get that back. And that the key to that is the opening stages. I, I hear they may be going back to pools, which I think they should. Mm. It's not COVID anymore. But you've got to get that bite back, that awful task of going away to Saracens or Leicester or Munster and we've got to get it back and we've got to make it, finally, we've got to make it pay because, I mean, remember Nigel Ray of Saracens telling me what they actually won for consecutive Trophy wins in the tournament, it was same t- t- halfpenny It was nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah. So you've got to make it attractive financially as well. So let's hope it kicks itself in the backside.
3: Yeah, as you say, I think there are moves when, I mean, there's lots of restructuring in rugby, which we'll get onto in our final section today about the whole state of the game, but they're definitely looking at streamlining the Champions Cup, I think, which would help. My, my theory has always been that I feel like they should have a, t- a, a tournament of 16. So you have five from the three leagues plus the winner of the challenge cut from the season before Mm. and it's a nice easy number four into four pulls and go from there right so should we be putting our necks on the line and should we try and rattle through who do we think's going to win out of all these there's eight games
2: yes Leicester Edinburgh very tight tighter than people think I'm going to go for Edinburgh
3: okay I think I'll go the other way home advantage Leicester uh, Sharks, Munster, Sharks for a bit of home advantage and all the box playing. Yeah. They seem like they're really
2: targeting it this They're really year. targeting it, and Munster, not a good wayside. Okay,
3: easy. Stormers, Quinns, I'm going to go Stormers, Cape Town, 25 degrees. Yes. Probably a basketball score, but... Yeah. Stormers to win. Yeah, definitely.
2: That? And uh, Quinns have to prick themselves off the floor from yesterday and go out there in the middle of the season. That's a tough one. Stormers, definitely.
3: So, Quinns actually flew out on uh, Monday morning, this morning, and uh, they're probably going to have a few days of recovery, but I think they went business class, so they're doing all right.
2: Oh, and second thought, I, I fancy Quinns for that one. <laughs> the
4: business
3: class. <laughs> yeah, they've had St- two trips there this season. They had Sharks early in the season. They, I think they were pretty disappointed they lost that. It was quite close, but... Yeah, Stormers is a pretty decent side, so yep. go for them. Leinster-Ulster seems inevitable. Ulster had a few seasons before where they looked really coming, didn't they? Yeah,
2: they always get so far, then they can't make the next step. But then step. poor
3: them, they bloody go and draw Leinster. It's yes, is tough, isn't it?
2: Leinster are, are too good. It's all set up for them to win because every game is home, including the finals. So yeah. what more could you want? Yeah.
3: And then we touched on La Rochelle Gloucester before. I mean, Gloucester can surprise us, but that would be one of the great victories if they were to go to the Atlantic coast and win there.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
3: Right, so Exeter-Montpellier, quite tough one. Montpellier have always been a weird team to judge because they have one bomb-out result every year. Yeah. But then they come into the knockouts and they they took Quincy's scalp last year, didn't they? They're clearly a good team. They're a bit random, aren't they?
2: We used to say, you never know with the French. Well, that doesn't apply to a lot of French teams anymore, but you never know with Montpellier. Exeter, if there's anything of the old... Extra spirit left, that could be a cracking game.
3: I'm going to back Montpellier there you go. I'll that go Exeter one. then. Sarri's Ospreys, Ospreys did really
2: well to get through didn't they and took a couple of marquee results but yes. Sarri's a step too far probably Probably, uh, Farrell didn't look like he'd be fit and to, to back up a uh, huge game like that is difficult. Great chance for Ospreys though, great chance, yeah. I mean this. come on boys, let's see what you can do Absolutely. Uh, Sar- but sarison's for me.
3: And then last one, to lose Bulls probably home advantage there isn't it
2: that'll be difficult i don't think bulls are that great and to lose arc on their day great so to lose by 15 points
3: there you go there you go rattled through so that was prem that was the champions cup um there's also around the challenge cup coming as well but we haven't got loads more time to talk about that this week but we'll try and touch on it next week because after that it's the quarterfinals in both competitions but up next on the ruck we need to look back at the Women's Six Nations weekend that just happened. So we'll have Rachel Burford on, the former England centre, after this. So the weekend just gone was the start of the Women's Six Nations, the TikTok Women's Six Nations. And joining us now is former Red Rose England World Cup winner Rachel Burford. Rachel, how are you going?
4: I'm going really well, thank you. Great weekend. Finally, it's kicked off. We've all been waiting for it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was a remarkable occasion, wasn't it, up in um, Kingston Park? Steve, you were there. Um, Sarah Hunter's valedictory exit from the game. I didn't uh, notice that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that? Was it just like a, a, an amazing occasion to celebrate one of the greats?
2: Yeah, it was. It, it, it was a dream occasion. Um, uh, they did go to their way to, to make it significant for Sarah, which is, I'm sure she had mixed thoughts about that because she's not a person who dashes to climb, claim the limelight. But uh, let's just talk about the Sarah bit, the goodbye Sarah for a start. The atmosphere there was unbelievable. I mean, the, gr- the, ground, the ground was packed and we had to walk around the ground beforehand and it was absolutely steaming and... um um, the, the the love and affection for Sarah as a, as a local um, w- w- was one thing, but the support and and the the, the kind of aged um, uh, what they call it the, the, the kind of general age of the crowd etc was really low. There were loads and loads, thousands of of young youngsters there. You 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 would hope are just actually playing, starting to play a game for the last couple of years. It, it was just perfect. Uh, Sarah was um, you know was just Sarah. She was. Looked, quite diffident, and at one stage during the anthem, she was so um, worried that the little mascot in front of it was getting cold, she was sort of rubbing the mascot's <laughs> hair, the arms, legs and everything, and I thought that was Sarah as well, but it was... it, it,
4: her it was, that was her oh, niece. Oh, was her niece? Oh, was it? Wow. Oh, yeah, oh right. it was her niece, yeah. Oh,
2: lovely. No, that, that, I didn't know that, but I wish I had, but anyway, her niece clearly enjoyed it when she when she put her tracksuit on got warm. <laughs> but it, 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 was, it was wonderful. Um, England were were were, were tremendous Scotland, I think, played a lot better than the score suggests. I think Scotland will give teams trouble this year because they were they were organised, they were fit, they, they were still going at the end. They've only been pro-will for a matter of minutes in the in mm. the tick-tock of it all. But uh, all in all, just a great day in Newcastle.
3: Yeah. Rachel, before we get on to the game, just some words on, on Sarah. And you would have played loads with her. Do you remember the first time you met her? I saw some... Uh, something that england rugby put out of her uh, with some s- s- dodgy haircuts at some point she's cornrows i think at one point do you remember that those <laughs> yeah days? i was
4: the one who did those cornrows did, did you yeah platter. yeah katie daly mclean used to come and demand like 15 plaits in her hair and i'd be like right okay you're you're my 10 so i probably should do as i told <laughs>
2: um
4: yeah no i think early days just not much different to what you see now just super smiley super happy to be around people makes time for everybody and is just a real grafter um and you know that's a testament to why she is where she is and to earn 141 caps doesn't come through chance or just talent alone and you know, for every single cap, she earned her right and worked so hard. And and that's been since day dot, since she got that chance to to play in a Six Nations. It was an opening game. How fitting, actually. I just realised that her, her opening game was against Scotland Perfect, in 2007. Yeah. And then her finishing game was against Scotland on her home ground. Um, yeah, she's just always been such a good person to be around and then has grown into being, you know, the wonderful leader that she is. And I just, I love the fact that, you know, she got the opportunity to finish the way she wanted to, and you know the RFU and and the coaching staff allowed for for all of this to happen all week. And and you're right, Jonesy. She certainly wouldn't have welcomed any of it. She kind of wanted to get it out there early and then focus in on the game, and and that's all it would have been about for her. Just actually putting on a good performance for England first and foremost, and then. Now putting her feet up and and enjoying it from the sidelines.
3: Yeah, she said she's going to try and stay involved at Loughborough Lightning. And how important is that that you keep the IQ in the room? I suppose she's experienced so much of women's rugby and the highs and lows of it that it's important to keep those voices in there. I imagine.
4: Yeah, look, you know, I, I, she hasn't openly said this, but you know, I would suspect you know she's got aspirations to be part of the England coaching setup. You know, so many players kind of have a coaching role at when they're at that level in international teams, you know, they're part of the coaching team already. You know, they help with the strategy around the game plan. They help with running the sessions and, and making sure players are developing and, and growing. So I think her, she wants to, you know, go full time and, and really be able to focus on coaching solely. And, and then, yeah, who knows where we might see her. Involved on an international um, status come 2025 or, or even before?
2: Rachel, um, just going to the game itself in a second, but it's a very interesting point there because um, I mean, I've written in the paper, so I'm not actually um, revealing this, but I, I was very surprised that they didn't bring in the new coach as soon as the world cup was was over but that that that's one of their machinations i suppose but um i would love personally to see that the that a new coach is is a woman not only because um, of the the message it sends out but because there are some absolutely wonderful powerful um, uh, aggressive and and talented Women coaches around. I mean, I know you speak. It'll be your personal opinion, but what, what do you think? It's time now.
4: I, I definitely think females should be involved, um, whether that's the head coach or part of the the wider coaching group. There has to be a female staff member in there. And we, like you said, there's definitely plenty of talent that are involved in the game right now that could step into those shoes and do it. I think from a playing point of view, you just want the best person, and I think whether that's male or female, you just want somebody who's going to be able to develop that environment to be a really positive, dynamic, challenging environment and ultimately challenge you to be a better player. That's all that players care about. But I think the fact that we have talent that is ready and available and is good enough to to step into that environment, I, I don't see why there can't be and shouldn't be a female staff member who's part of the coaching team and full time in that environment. I think like, like I've just said, there's plenty of talent that are either on the cusp or currently already involved in the game at those kind of levels um, from a women's perspective. And I think I'm really fascinated to see what direction England take and do, or do they take the tact of actually, we're going to have somebody who's, maybe more experienced in running of a programme at an international level, and we're going to bring a female staff member and we're going to work on our succession plan and mm. we're going to make sure that they're ready to to then take over in 2025 or before then. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting move, wasn't it, with the RFU opting to to keep the the coaching staff for this Six Nations because, you know, that's five games that the new coach won't get. Um, or to to be involved in. So it's an interesting move, but you, you just feel that probably on the back of the World Cup, Everybody comes home things settle and then suddenly you're trying to find a, a new coach that's going to start in you know but, pretty but much I, a couple of months
2: I do agree with you but that happens at almost every world Cup men's world Cup in 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 almost every team I, I think that um if the new person had come in now they could have spent a season looking at the premier 15s and and sifting yeah. there's so much talent out there that suddenly at the end of this six Nations someone's going to be saying right off you go you're the coach we've wasted this six nations and you could have been in charge but I don't want to be too controversial. Let me just also say this, Rachel, that you, you summarised the, uh, the tournament b- beautifully for, for us but, and, um, you know, the pain of losing the final was, was awful. But when I see this England team now, the pain actually gets worse for me because they are so good uh, <laughs> yeah. and they are so talented. And in my heart, with respect to the Black Ferns, I think they should categorically have won the tournament. But now you're almost sort a marking time for another three years. Is is that how you feel or have you are you at peace with it now?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's really hard, especially the way that England played this weekend. It kind of really showed all of their cards. And, you know, the group will just be focusing on what's next now they won't want to look back they've kind of digested it and I think they took so much from the way that they handled that defeat and I think that says so much about them as a group and what that can galvanize them into doing in the future is is a pretty pretty daunting prospect I think for for everybody else watching him
3: so Rachel in this tournament then what do you think England can learn or what should they want to learn over the next few weeks about the team and how they can play the game because they're clearly one of the best teams in the world that's probably not going to change but how can they get to that next level do you think
4: well I think when, when you reflect and look back at how the Black Ferns played they just went out and expressed themselves with complete freedom and enjoyed it and they believed in what they were going to do some decisions you'd be like no don't do you know think of that penalty in that World Cup final she doesn't kick um for touch and then suddenly they get a turnover and that gifts England an opportunity back but I think that's what we want to see from England is that real freedom to express and play that the way that we know that they're capable of doing. um and that being their instinct, not right. We'll just pin a team in a corner and we we'll use our driving line out because we know that works. I think that's the kind of growth that you want to see over this six nations, but not just, against kind of teams they're really familiar in, but taking that into the WXV later this year as well, I think is a really big growing area for them because they want to be multiple multiple threats across the the whole team. And if they can grow and believe in themselves and just have that freedom, which we saw them play on Saturday with um, when it comes to those big crunch games and actually play play that style against the France and against the New Zealand then I think you know that says a lot about the team and their growth.
2: Rachel um, Mali Packer won't be very happy with you she when you're talking about dri- driving lineups <laughs> they drove three lineups in about three minutes and she, she scored every one so maybe she didn't think it was <laughs> too bad just, just before we move on to the other teams I'm going to give you three names and I thought about them all on Saturday wow one was Sadia Kabea in the back row. Yeah. Uh, another was Claudia McDonald on the wing, who was after injury, was sensational. And also Lagi tu- uh, Tuima in the centre. I thought, blimey, she is really a coming force in the game. Have I picked out a good three there?
4: Yeah, you have. I mean, I definitely had Kabea um, and Claudia, and I mm. was Poppy Clear. I thought she was really busy did a lot of unseen work, but yeah, I, for Lange to Ima, you know, she's, she missed out on the rugby world cup and she was struggling with a bit of form last year, but she's been performing so well in the premier 15s and that's just given her that confidence back to play freely. And I think she played really well. She did all the right things passed at the right time, carried at the right time, in the right position, worked hard, stepped up to do kicking duties. You know, when you're playing 13, everybody knows, obviously, Emily is Mm. is who she is, right? And so without having that kind of on your shoulders and knowing that she's got an opportunity to just take this Six Nations and make it her own and really kind of step into that role, I just think she's reveling in that opportunity. And also missing out on the World Cup, you know, really hurt her like it would Mm. any player. And I think she's just seen it as now, right? I'm back in the fold. I'm going to maximise every bit I can, and I thought she started the campaign so so well.
2: Just uh, it's always a, um, a big question mark as to whether some of the games are too easy, and we are desperate to see the other teams rise. Now, Wales really put Ireland away and and looked good. Looked to have a good scrummage there. Also, Italy were not hammered by by France, and Will was just saying that uh, if Italy had, had a kicking game, it might have been very very close. Those two games, is that evidence for you that things are evening up just a little bit?
4: Yeah, I think I think we've all got to be aware that just because you suddenly start getting paid to play that you're going to have this transformation in your performance. It takes time. And I think Wales are actually a really good um, showcase of that. You know, last year they were in the Six Nations, you know, for big periods of games. But that fitness level, that cohesion together, knowing each other, didn't really show. And I think that game against Ireland at the weekend, they look really fit. They look um, organised. They looked really direct. They've got a couple of key players that are missing, but you wouldn't have thought that having watched how they played at the weekend. And, and that's because they've had another year together. They've had another year to work things out, to work with Joran Cunningham, um, to shape the game that they want to play. And mm-hmm. I think that's the marking of how professionalism isn't just about now suddenly they're paid that means we're going to get performance it's all the other elements that come with it and that takes time to build and Ireland very much in that infancy of that and you know I'm sure everybody's aware not all of those players are living in Ireland on a full-time contract in a full-time daily training environment mm-hmm. a lot of them are spread out staying in England playing at their clubs. so there's still a lot of time there and I think for Italy we've always seen them slowly coming on that rise and you just hope that potentially more time together they're going to be able to edge out those those tight wins and take on those top teams and we saw some they were one of the most exciting teams to watch at the World Cup, mm-hmm. the way that they played and their progression. And, you know, they've got a new coaching set up now. So it'd be interesting to see the direction that they take during this Six Nations.
3: Quick last thought then, uh, Rachel, before we let you go. Um, next weekend, we've got Ireland, France, Scotland, Wales, and England, Italy. Three names from you there. Who's going to win those three? Scotland, Wales uh, is probably the, the trickiest one to judge of those, is it?
4: It is, but I, I'm back in Wales on that. Um, I think France are going to beat Ireland. Um, fairly comfortably and England are going to beat Italy
3: There you go, perfect Well, really appreciate your time this morning Rachel and uh, all the best for the next week or so and let's hope we see some fantastic games next weekend in the Women's Six Nations Thanks guys Okay, so next on The Rack, we're joined by Christian Day, the General Secretary of the Rugby Players Association. Christian, how are you? Where in the world are you?
1: Uh, I'm actually at Leicester Tigers there. I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm nervous about being put on The Rack. That sounds uh, ominous, but... Um, <laughs> But no, it's, a, it's it's a start of a busy week for me, uh, but good to be able to
3: speak. Yeah, on the rack, on the ruck. <laughs> this is the way we're doing things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. in the Times this week, we're, we're doing a bit of a series about the State of the Union and where we're at in English rugby after the Six Nations. Not so much totally focusing on the men's national team, but the pathways and the players and the club game and everything else. And that's why we wanted you to come on. Because you've been in the room negotiating with the RFU and the clubs about the new professional game agreement, which for people that don't know, that's the kind of uh, agreement which enshrines the financial and structural relationship between club and country. It's currently being negotiated to come in for 2024. So what, what's the, are the discussion centering on, Christian, and what in your role are you really pushing for for the, for the next deal?
1: Yeah, so I guess look, the, the the professional game agreement or the PGA as as most people know it, it's it's kind of the rule book for the professional game. And and it was always previously about England players, England player release and and you know, money transfer essentially. But that was 8 years ago. We're really trying to push and you know, I'm new to this role at the RPA, but I'm really really passionate about trying to reposition the players a little bit so so we're trying to push that look the, the pga needs to evolve in our eyes it should be a, like an enhanced agreement encompasses a lot of other factors that that a professional sport needs to think about and for us like like i said for m- myself i'm really passionate i want the players to be seen as a really important part of this as as partners in the game so no longer just as employees um a, a partnership brings a lot of positives to the situation in terms of um a collective strength of all straight three stakeholders it lets everyone know where they stand it it lets everyone know how we can work together um and if you look around the world at so many different professional sports that's that's how they operate and and that's my pitch that rugby union should do the same
3: in terms of the the devil's going to be in the detail of all this are there a couple of things that you're really looking at this time and saying like they're the non-negotiables for us i mean i I know you're supportive of a minimum wage as one thing is that Is that top of the agenda on your ideas?
1: Well, so this is the complexities of it. So minimum wage is is probably going to be a competitions issue. So straight away, we're talking about the premiership. And actually, we're probably talking about the premiership salary cap. So 18 months time is a bit of a a turning point for the game, really. And it really Mm. is an opportunity to to restart things after what's been a really tough period. So at that time, you've got the PGA finishes. You've got the salary caps up for uh, renegotiation or, or like a reset Uh, The premiership standard contract is being uh, reviewed as we speak. So there's lots and lots of different things all happening at the same time. And I guess our point of view is that they should all almost be looked at together. You can't really do any of them in isolation because they all affect each other. But certainly you've hit on something that we're really quite passionate about is that and actually, this has come from the players themselves. So we've mm-hmm. actually surveyed the players on this and said which are the important things, particularly relating to the salary cap. And th- and they've highlighted a few really. So so one is they want to be competitive in Europe, you know, against the giants, particularly of France and Ireland. And there's a feeling at the moment that the cap's restrictive in that regard. But then in terms of these protections, there's two that really stand out for me. One is a minimum wage, and one is a professional players benevolent fund so we're protecting those guys at the start of their career primarily and those guys who come to the end and they fall out of it with issues or, or hardship and we should have a fund set up that, that looks after those players a little bit better.
3: So on the minimum wage um, do you have an idea of what level that should be at and what would be a sort of the bottom level of wages for guys now so if our listeners can understand what the change could be?
1: Yeah so look our, our pitch here is that we want an inclusive sport. We want a sport that everyone can play. So we don't want players, particularly these Academy players who are kind of 18 to all the way up to 23 years old. So when we talk about Academy, it can be quite senior guys and and, and we think they should be paid a a wage that's fair given the, the, um, the sacrifices they make, but also that they can live on. Um, So straight away, we're talking about the living wage and and putting an hourly rate on a professional athletes uh, work doesn't, you know, doesn't reflect fairly on, on the hours that they, they sacrifice. So for us, it should be something that the league sets that everyone's happy with. And, and if anything, it just gives real stability to everyone and lets everyone know what, what the level is. And, and then we can get on with trying to produce excellent rugby players.
3: Just on that note of that, uh, one of the bigger arguments that's going to come up in this 2024 new professional game agreement is the whole RFU's foreign policy. At the moment, if you play abroad, you can't play for England. Um, there are exceptional circumstances at the moment, Where do you stand on that, Christian? I know lots of the players would want to say, look, if my value is higher abroad and I'm not being offered what I can be elsewhere, then why should I sacrifice my England career? We heard last week from a couple of Premiership DORs who are absolutely dead against it. Rob Baxter, Mark McCall were two of those that spoke out. Uh, It seems like Premiership Rugby wants to stick by and the RFU. Where do you sit with all that? Because it's a hell of a thing to negotiate that, isn't it?
1: I think it's uh, in the current climate, I think it's about trying to make a case that it is an exceptional circumstance. So for someone like Jack, you know, Wasps went bust and he had no option. You know, there was no viable option on the table for him to remain in England. And and he chose to go to France and fully supportive of that. And and likewise, if there are players this year with the the cap suppressed, I, I think we need to look at that with an open mind and say, look, in the short term, if they can't get a fair value in England, you know, we can make a short-term exceptional circumstance why they should be allowed to go abroad and still play. For me, as as someone who's passionate about English rugby, whose job is to make English rugby as good as it can be for the players in the long term. I, I want to see England players playing in the premiership. They're they're going to make the club competition stronger and ultimately the the international team stronger because it guarantees that release for you fourth internationally in the autumn. It guarantees release for training weekends. And ultimately, that, those are all important to make a strong England. So long term, I definitely think we want English players playing in the premiership. But in the short term, you know, we need to make exceptions if they're needed.
3: Should we be worried about that? Our readers will see lots of stories this season of plenty of Exeter players leaving for France and Anthony Watson having a look around. Castor was the other one the other day. And Joe Marchant, David Ribbons, they're both going to the top 14. Jack Willis, as we've mentioned, in different circumstances. Is that is that enough to be a worrying trend, do you think?
1: I think it just highlights that at the moment the Premiership is going through financial uncertainty, financial difficulties. And if the salary cap is reduced, it's going to make going abroad much more attractive to players who, who can maybe command a higher wage there. So that's that's the realities of a professional sport and that's the that's why the salary cap does need to be something that is is reasonable and and we we will always say a fair deal for the players and Mm. a fair deal for the players encompasses at the bottom a minimum wage but but again we've got to make sure it's a fair deal for those players at the top of their game um and and you can't almost handcuff them to the league um if they're not going to get a fair deal there so I, i know in you know next year the cap's going to reduce but then after that it goes up and one thing that we've said to our members is we we want to know what the mechanism is for for the cap you know why does the cap go down why does the cap go up primarily we think it it needs to be linked to the revenues of the league Um, and pre-covid those revenues were growing really well covid's really really affected the sport we know that and we know still there's you know there's there's uncertainty but as the finances recover and grow we just expect that that cap to grow in line and and make sure that the players are fairly rewarded for what is a you know a really tough career at the end of the day where the money isn't anywhere near what it is in football or, or some other glamorous sports it's it's um you know it's it's a uh, I don't want to say a difficult life because it's not difficult, but it, but it is a tough sport. Yeah, um, and we just want to see a fair fair reflection of that. The,
3: the one thing that always comes up in these negotiations too, and and we'll, we'll rear its head again this time, is the big unwieldy word of central contracts. Um, the player again, more senior England players are going to be in the times today backing it as a as a positive step forward. Is that viable? Do you think? Do, and actually, it was interesting the other day that Mark McCall who. You would have thought previously would be dead against it uh, was hugely supportive of central contracts and essentially the RFU taking some of the wages off the Premiership books. Do you think that would be something that could work for English rugby, like it does in other countries?
1: I absolutely think it can work. I don't think it's something that's been hugely discussed by the RFU as yet, and, it, and it's there. You know, it's their thing to, to put forward if it's something they think will work. Um, Ultimately, we probably need a you know a long-term goal for the premiership and English rugby and how it's going to look in five, ten years' time. Um, we we can look at Ireland who at the moment are really successful, but you know, they I think Ireland give out 12 central contracts, so it's not like the whole England EPS squad are going to be centrally contracted. It's a it's a much smaller thing if we're gonna look at Ireland. But then we look at France, who are really successful at the moment, they don't have any central contracts. They have, you know, but what they have at the moment apparently is much better relations between the clubs and, and the union than previous. So to me, again, we've, we've said there's a big opportunity here to rethink how we do things, but it's important that we have a longer strategy than just this year. We shouldn't just say Ireland have done well this year. Let's do what they do. We need a long-term strategy. And I'll go back to what I said at the start. The players need to be fully engaged with this. Uh, you can't just put a system out and say, right, now we're doing this. Get on with it. Let's, If, if the players are speaking out, let's let's listen to what the players think. and. I know from my interactions with the EPS squad, there's always been questions of their management, how how many minutes they play, how many games they play, that would probably be a big step forward under central contracting. But ultimately, at the other end, you know, the, the England team have always been well rewarded for playing for England and and, and ultimately to, to get more control, the RFU are probably gonna to have to pay a bit more money to the clubs and and, and again that's that's gonna change that dynamic.
3: Is there some part of it like thinking on the other side of it where if if the finances of all these clubs is is clearly been savaged over the last few years and the RFU have not got as much money does there have to be some sort of acceptance from the players and there probably has been that they can't earn as much as they used to and i know some will have already had that acceptance of that but is that part of this too that the days of earning huge wages were probably gone for a while
1: i think we've already seen that happen well and actually we saw some pretty incredible leadership from the players through covid you know took pay cuts to try and help the clubs that that's not something that that was refused so wages have in the short term suffered I think that's that's a fact and and we're in a salary cap league so of course it, it has been a fact but I'll go again I'll go back to what I said as the revenues recover as the game starts to grow again which I, which ultimately I do think it will we need a fair system that that will tell the players what their earning potential will be in future and I would also say at the top of the game, I, I don't think the earning potential has been hugely impacted. I, I would say more it's those middle earners. The type of player that I was, being perfectly honest, that you're, you're kind of club pro. They're the ones who've probably been squeezed out more. And actually the, the younger players are becoming more important. And, and your England players will always be important and sought after. That's you know that, that comes with the territory of being one of the best players in the world.
3: We hear lots of reports of, uh, about... A couple of wobbly clubs, and still worries about finances. Are you still concerned, a bit, Christian, that it, we're not out of the woods yet with all this?
1: No, I don't think we are out of the woods. I think I think we're we're doing a lot of good work. I think Simon Massey Taylor's come in at, at Premiership Rugby, and he and he really has changed things, and he's trying to improve things and develop things. I do think that there are still financial issues existing, but but that's you know rugby's never been uh, fully insulated from that kind of thing. So there's hard work still to be done, and with that comes some responsibility. I think you know you can't just say we're going to match the playing budgets of Leinster or Toulouse straight away. But but the 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 crucial thing is that we have the ambition. English rugby teams have always been competitive in Europe and. And like I said, at the moment, the players don't feel that that's possible, but we need to show them the ambition and the growth. And, and, and who's to say this year we won't have a surprise? I mean, that Saracen's team at the weekend would pretty mm. impressive, and, and Leicester seems to be getting a, a run of steam going. But still, you know, the, the, the players want to know that it's a level playing field and and... That will come. I'm hopeful that will come. But we probably need to just be, uh, get a bit of stability in the short term.
3: Yeah, and just a last thought, and maybe that's a, it's a general point, is are you hopeful this time that this will be a proper full partnership between the players, the RFU and the and PRL? That it's not something that's just foisted on the players, that this is a kind of triumvirate that's all three equal partners now?
1: I'm confident that I've got some meetings in my diary. So I'm confident <laughs> we're going to go to those. I'm confident that I'm going to be well prepared, um, and ultimately that you know the hard work is, is very much not done. So it's it's about being, as I said, you know, well prepared and, and trying to make sure that you put forward what the players want. We can't please everyone, you know. Like we can't please every single player in the game with what what ends up. But you know, I I have a real real desire here to try and protect some players a little bit better, make the system a little bit fairer, but ultimately be really ambitious. We 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 want England to be. One of the best teams in the world. We want English teams winning European cups, so we've got to show how that growth is going to come. I think the product on the pitch is pretty exciting. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of exciting games, but we've got to make sure the quality's there, and that's probably where that pathway question comes in as well. So, look, there's loads of work to be done, but what we can say is, at a time of change, the opportunity should exist. It's not like we're locked into things that can't be changed. Um, so, it's about trying to look, like I said, with a bit of a, a bit of a goal towards the future and how we're we going to get there.
3: Yeah, well, look, really appreciate your time this morning, Christian, and all the best with it. I think plenty of professionals around the country will be will be hoping that you can come up with a better deal this time. So all power to what you're doing, and, and thanks for coming on The Ruck.
1: Thank you. Good speaking. The train is now
0: approaching. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
3: Great to hear from Christian Day there. And just to mark your cards, listeners and readers of The Times, which I know you all are, um... The State of the Game series that we're doing at the moment over a few days is, is, is still coming along. Sam Warburton kicked it off for us by talking about the changes that Steve Borswick and the England coaches could make to make them a force come the World Cup. On Monday, today, recording, I did a piece about how we got to this position in a club game and the, the ways that, that Premiership Rugby and others are trying to solve the issues. Alex Lowe's coming Monday for Tuesday talking about the players, central contracts, the foreign rule. And then we've got also a piece from John Westerby coming about trying to repair the pathway that looks... that conveyor belt that looks to have stopped, basically. Mm. On a couple of big issues, Steve, where do you sit? That The one that was fascinating last week was Mark McCall coming out and being really positive for central contracting, which would, was a few years ago. You'd never have thought that the Saracens DOR would have said that, but he did.
2: He did say that, and I think... He was really, really positive about the idea of not losing all his players. I yeah, think. That's and not what, having to pay them all their wages. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. And it, it, it is ridiculous because I don't know if people realise that Farrell plays a, an average of about one game in three. still gets his full salary and good luck to him. But the RFU don't offload any of that from the cl- from the clubs. And also, when an England player goes away, the compensation package is absolutely minuscule. It's pathetic. And s- say Farrell's away, because they've got this um Rounding up procedure at the Premiership, everyone stays level. If Farrell goes away with England, the compensation goes some to Sarri's and some goes in the central pool. It's absolutely crackers. Yeah. Um, so it was, it, I mean, I think, I don't know whether uh, the, the um, Saracens owners came in with effusive sort of congratulations to Mark for that, but um, <laughs> yeah, look, it, it was something. And uh, if it means that, that, that fans get to see their players more often, Maybe there is something in it, but we'll see. We'll
3: yeah, see. Yeah. I mean it just feels like they're negotiating this professional game agreement as we spoke about with Christian that this is a massive moment for yeah. English rugby, isn't it? That yeah. If they don't solve so many of these issues in one go this time, then they're just kicking the can down the road for more problems.
2: Well, in fact, what you were hinting at this morning in the paper was not so much, oh, it's coming up, but don't just say, right, we've given you an extra 4% on last year's, let's sign another deal. It's got to be radically different. This is the big chance. Everybody now is going radical. Even the Welsh Rugby Union, which we'll come to in a minute, has gone radical for the first time in 175 years. So, the game is changing rapidly and this new deal between the club and country, first of all, this money that is given over by Twickenham, it is not a handout. It is money that the the clubs have earned and it was and is theirs by divine right for developing plays for england and for losing them to england it is not not a charitable handout
3: yeah yeah and just to cover off the the other thing that's the hot button issue of the moment is this potential relaxation of the the foreign policy which essentially i don't think is going to change i mean rob baxter mark mccall were very negative about that changing and i was chatting to a few people for that piece i wrote and in the club game and they said no way absolute disaster but then you've got the players who are supportive of it and Anthony Watson was looking around Castro last week and there's a different situation with people like Jack Willis and I know that the RFU will look at his particular situation to see whether there are still yeah. exceptional circumstances if he stays in Toulouse, but that 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 looks like a really big argument that's going to be fought soon.
2: Huge argument. I mean, in, in Wales they've lost the argument because there's no way you can you can you can demand that players stay in the Welsh club game because it's not good enough at the moment. In England, it's just about good enough, even though the, the wages have gone down. So unbelievably ticklish argument and. Mm-hmm. If 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 Jack Willison starts a bit of a snowball, say ten want to go, then they are struggling. They yeah. are struggling. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see.
3: Right, Steve. Just before we get on to the god, goddess, or devil of the week, ending to the pod, one of the bigger results of the weekend actually happened in a hotel in Port Talbot, didn't it? Can you talk us through that? Yes, the WRU's
2: it vote. It was a double. It was an extraordinary uh, general meeting, um, and every club or every every voting member of the Welsh Rugby Union had a vote and for years the old guard the blazed brigade have been um the tail's been wagging the dog um and in terms of refusing to let the game get a proper professional arm with with dynamic leadership and and in in its place became sexual allegations misogyny Etc. Etc. Now the last time, about a year ago, they had the same sort of vote, and um, it only uh, they only just got through the Welsh Rugby Union, but not enough to carry the motion. They wanted 75%. This time there was a total avalanche: 245 in favour of the WIU motion, that is in favour of changing the game, and seven against. Now that is an absolutely staggering result. It is like someone who lost 100 nil last week winning 100 nil this week. <laughs> what it does mean is the the Welsh Rugby Union Board would no longer be a bunch of people who are only there because they've worn their blazers for 30, 40 years. So that was an absolutely tremendous vote, puts the WRU ahead of the RFU in terms of structure, but they got a long way to go, but this was a decent start.
3: Yeah, perfect. Well, well done to them. And let's now look at our God or Goddess of the Week. Where, where are you going for yours, Steve? Are you I'm going for go- the to, obvious
2: choice, perhaps? I, uh, well, the obvious choice doesn't mean sh- he or she's not the God or Goddess of the Week, are mm. they? Usually we try and come up with someone who's um, a little bit left field and everything. But um, uh, Sarah Hunter, I'm afraid, if I don't make her the Goddess of the Week, I can never go to Newcastle again for start. <laughs> Never look Sarah in the eye again, which, as she's won the uh, Rugby Union Writers Club Personality of the Year, be very difficult to miss her. Sarah Hunter, by a street, is my goddess of the week.
3: Yeah, perfect. I mean, what a warrior, and a hell of a career, and nice way to finish it off in your home your home ground as Absolutely. well, isn't it? Yeah, great choice. I mean, mine, yours is probably the one for this week, but I think my mention will go to, let's say, Les Kiss and Declan Kidney at London Irish and dragging them up from the bottom at Christmas. I know it's a mad league, but fourth in the table, another good result. They're getting decent crowds there. And I know not it all is completely rosy off the field at London Irish. So doing that, despite everything, is a hell of an effort. And if they can keep going in the last two or three games of the season and get into that playoff picture, then that's absolutely remarkable. So they can be my gods of the week, but definitely the goddess... Of quite a lot of weeks to be honest is Sarah Hunter so great shout Steve right everyone that, that has been a packed ruck for your Monday or wherever you download and listen to this next we'll be back uh, in a week's time to talk about the Champions Cup we'll look back at the last 16 as was and then whatever the quarterfinal shake up is but for now that has been the ruck thanks for downloading listening subscribing tell all your friends about it and see us all next time but for now goodbye